Postscript Media, podcast for a changing planet. Are we all wearing rayon bodysuits in the future? Just you, Shilla. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I, I better bring it back for recycling. This is Hot Buttons, a show about the future of fashion and culture on a changing planet. I'm Christina Binkley. I'm a contributing writer at Vogue Business and The Wall Street Journal. This week, repairs. It was once a hallmark of owning any clothes. Now it's a novel approach to sustainability taken up by brands as diverse as Arcteryx, Uniqlo, and Eileen Fisher. We'll look at where repair fits into a brand's sustainability strategy and if these new moves are for real or for show. Then, fast fashion stalwart Zara, who we periodically trash, or maybe not trash, but we criticize, has done something might be good. Partnered with Swedish textile recycling company RenewCell to use its Circulose fibers in a new capsule collection. Circulose is made from 100% recycled textile waste, so we were excited to dig in and learn more. And of course, we will finish with things big and little that are pressing our buttons. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm joined by my regular co-hosts, Shola Kim Parker and Rachel Kibbe. Hi, guys. Hi, Christina. Hi, Christina. Shilla is the CEO and co-founder of Thrilling, a marketplace for vintage powered by mom and pop shops. And Rachel is the founder of Circular Services Group, an advisory firm focused on circularity in fashion. Okay, guys, we're going to dig in. Sometimes we get silly here, but I think we should start talking about some of the biggest news to hit out of Washington this week, the Inflation Reduction Act, which... Not according to its name, you wouldn't know it, but it's actually really lit up all of the sort of climate change activist groups. People are really excited about where this is coming from. Were you guys following it this week? Oh, so exciting. I too. love that hey, so much. If marketing works, <laughs> it works, it. right? <laughs> it's like a wink, wink, whatever you need, Joe Manchin. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Inflation reduction. That's exactly right. <laughs> But what it's doing, I mean, it's like, what is it, $350 billion for technology? $370. $370, thank you, Rachel, <laughs> to, to invest in technologies that are going to reduce carbon in the atmosphere significantly. I mean, we're really on target to where we need to be now, right? No, hopefully. Hopefully this helps. Don't burst my bubble, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I won't. You know what? I actually don't know enough about this bill. I mean, but I do know it's a good thing. That yeah. it's on its way to passing, and it's better than nothing. And maybe some people think it's too little, too late. But this is uh, this is really hard to pass yes. in this type of political climate. And oh my I, god! Did uh, you guys see the picture of Bernie Sanders sitting on the steps yes. of the Capitol in the month Sunday? <laughs> no, yes. like a beaten man. It must have been hard work. <laughs> he always just looks so tired and and annoyed. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff in this in this bill. There's a lot to like, cheaper access to healthcare, and then of course, you know, yeah. largest federal clean energy investment in US history. I mean, that's a huge yeah. deal. And essentially it just makes it easier 
for folks to invest in zero carbon power production, subsidizes the, the cost of um, electric transportation, clean electric transportation, um, mitigates impact of climate on low-income communities. To Rachel's point, you know, it, it lowers greenhouse gas emissions by 40% by 2030, which is just shy of Biden's goal of 50%. But it gets us close enough that with other measures, especially passed at the state level, we might be able to hit those goals. So, you know, I think um, it's a huge achievement. I mean, obviously, this will be studied for decades in in textbooks about how exactly this bill got done. Um, It's a a, a political achievement for sure. It sure is. Whenever I read this this sort of uh, legislation, I always I sort of look at it yearning for fashion to be included. And I think one day it will be because it's, you know, fashion is such a big global greenhouse gas contributor. And, you know, I think that we'll get to a place where <clears throat> fashion has has its day and, and it's not going to be necessarily in this bill, but it also means that we're getting closer to it. Yeah. Yay. Yep. I think this helps the U.S. in helping leverage and push through these kinds of deals um, and policy changes worldwide. It gives us mm-hmm. a little bit of the moral high ground. So potentially ramifications worldwide, even though, of course, it's it's focused on U.S. US infrastructure. You know, that's true. I actually, now that you're saying that, shall I realize that when I read about this and, you know, that it passed 50-51 in the Senate, that I felt like a little bit of the return of national pride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what does that feel like? We passed the Inflation Reduction <laughs> Act. Yeah. I, I should bring up something that we were sort of chatting about in the Slack this week, which <laughs> I don't know. Who wants to tackle uh, um, Hermes v. Telfar? Oh. Well, have you guys heard Beyonce's new album, Renaissance? Pieces Most of it. Not the whole th- I haven't listened to the whole thing. I I love it. I'm curious what what do you guys think so far? I like it. It wasn't like ear candy for me, but yeah. I know for mo- uh, most people it was. It wasn't as catchy as some of her other stuff for me personally. Yeah. But like, yeah. I mean, fans are gonna hate me for saying that, but just. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I liked lemonade. I really lemonade. Liked lemonade. I will listen I really, to you on repeat. <laughs> lemonade. You're on safe ground once again. <laughs> yes, lemonade. Yes. Oh. So the last song on her album, Summer Renaissance, has this lyric. So elegant and raunchy, this hot couture I'm flaunting, this Telfar bag imported, Birkins, them shit in storage, I'm in my bag. I read it immediately, and I know we all had different reactions. I was like, ooh, you know, she's really trying to make a point there. Um, I felt that was very pointed. I don't know why about Birkins. Well, that was my question. I that was just I was just like, well, what did what did Hermes do to her, <laughs> or what did, what happened? <laughs> but come on, I mean, h- how completely lukewarm and tepid. Oh, you think that's, <laughs> you think that's not that hard? She a didn't point. destroy them. Yeah. She didn't put them into a poor person. She put them in storage. <laughs> like, well, come on, you know. <laughs> what is? I don't know what that says. You, I mean, you I think, think it was not hard enough as an insult. I think the song boosted both brand sales, as far as I'm, I've heard. Like, yeah. I, I, I think maybe Telfar more, but Telfar Clemens is a designer um, who is based in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and not far from where I live. I've lived in North Brooklyn for about 15 years, 
And um, one of the bags he's designed, but he designs clothes and accessories and everything, is has been called the Bushwick Birkin. And yeah. it, it's it's designed after the Bloomingdale's, um, the famous Bloomingdale's paper shopping, shopping bag. bag. Yeah. And it yeah. comes in multiple sizes, and it's, you know, ubiquitous. And um, it's ubiquitous here in North Brooklyn, and it's now ubiquitous globally. It's been worn by everyone from AOC to, uh, you know, our favorite housewife, Sonia Morgan. Um, so it's, it's really cool. He's equal. Equally inspired by Vivian Westwood as he is Macy's and Marshall's. So Meaning he's accessibility. A, that's that's yes. kind of his whole brand, which is luxury but accessible. And so he keeps his these bags way cheaper, obviously. Like Birkin is like the, one of the most expensive. It's like $10,000 a bag, right? At least. Right. And these are like a couple hundred dollars. Or higher. Yeah. I mean, his bags aren't cheap, though. No, no. but they're che- but they're a couple hundred dollars, right? Yeah, Probably. exactly. And Beyonce's always been. I feel like it's it's a, a black designer. She's always empowered, right? And celebrated black artists. And, and spiking Telfar sales is just a great side side effect. Let's get on to our first topic this week. Um, this is actually a topic that the three of us have been talking about since the conception of this podcast, and um, I actually thought to celebrate our getting together doing this podcast, there was a moment when I thought, I'm going to send them all darning needles, <gasps> darning, darning knobs. Oh, that, that would and, be so um, cute. I know. I, I wouldn't know what to do that. with now that. I've but. ruined it by telling you. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we're going to talk about repairs, repairing clothes. Not so long ago, this was a part of everyone's relationship with their clothes. You either repaired them yourself or you brought them to somebody who could repair them for you. And But as clothes got cheaper the appeal of repairs gave way to the appeal of just replacing them. We just throw things away. How many pairs of socks have I thrown away because there was a hole in the toe? Mm. Um, A few brands, though, are making repairs easier, some within their stores and others as part of a program that they've initiated. Um, This is, you know, some brands have been doing it for a really long time, but we noticed that um, Arcteryx this week added Toronto as the second location of their Rebird Circularity Program. They offer repairs, they offer education in the store, which one hopes it likely, you know, it probably appeals to outdoors-focused consumers. Um, And it is really true that a lot of the brands that have gone into repairs like Patagonia are, you know, outdoor-focused consumers, even if all their clothes aren't hiking wear. On the other end of the spectrum, Uniqlo just launched Uniqlo Repair Studio. It's in Soho in, in New York. Um, they're offering $5 repairs, which that's a good price, um, for things like mending seams, patching holes, replacing buttons. We've seen H&M try this in Europe. Uh, jeans brands like Salsa and Nudie have done it. And I feel like it shows a responsibility on these brands' part to their consumers and their clothes. Although I, I also feel like we have to give a nod to the fact that this is another way for these brands to get their customers to come back into the store, potentially buy more, be more mm, loyal. So I, I don't, never thought of that angle. Well, what do you guys think? What do you guys think about brands doing these? I think the brands have a responsibility to their customers who are not going to be loyal to them if they are if they are not sustainable, if they do not participate in the circular economy. And so they're figuring, of course, the easiest way to make money if you're a fashion brand is to sell new products. That's the easiest and quickest way. Repair, recycling, reuse, those are hard things to do, but it's being demanded of brands to get involved. So I would also look at it that way too. So there's kind of a halo from doing that. Yeah, not even just a halo. They just have to. Mm. Yeah, my first response was that, you know, I think it's, in general, it's terrific 
that companies are starting to take more responsibilities for their clothes and the and the idea that that responsibility doesn't end once you walk out the mm-hmm. door with the purchase that it continues yep. and that you offer some way to cont- to extend the life of those clothes and you can't fix them but then followed very quickly by a slightly more cynical <laughs> reaction <Yeah. laughs> um, and actually not as much on the companies but also just based on human behavior Mm-hmm. You know, the entire clothing repair industry generated $1.8 billion last year. So that's about $5.50 per person in the U.S. Um, that number has been about flat over the last few years. Um, compare that to $200 billion Americans spent last year in new clothing. So an average mm-hmm. of $600 per person of adding new clothes into their wardrobe. So, um, Oh, my God, that's amazing. $600 per person adding new, new clothes. clothes. New clothes into their closets versus spending a, an average $5 per person. But think about this, how inaccessible repairing is. But that's exactly, but so, yeah. To me, so first of all, I think fixing clothes is not a habit that we have. It's not in our muscle memory. It needs yeah. to be trained. So whether, yeah. even if there are the options to repair clothes, I worry about people taking companies up on those options. Um, hmm. And then- Why is that? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, and then to Rachel, your point, it's it's you know it's very few locations, so those options are not easily accessible. And then I also think about you know okay, what is it? What is it that we're really trying to fix? We're trying to fix fashion waste, so we don't throw out those socks. We take them in to get repaired. But honestly, I, and I haven't seen actually studies that address this question. But I would, but I'm curious what you guys think. I would suspect that the reasons for why we get rid of clothes are, one, it doesn't fit anymore. We've gained and lost weight. I'm moving Mm -hmm. and I need space in my closet. Um, I'm not interested in the style anymore. And then I feel like it's maybe it's there's a hole in it. So in, in terms of the hierarchy of why we even get rid of clothes, I would suspect that minor repair, which is what these stores are offering, is probably lower on the list. That's a really great question. That that comes to the fact that we all have too damn many clothes. Oh and yeah, looking, I mean <laughs> a lot too, of times we're looking, too. we have too many clothes. Yes, and we're looking for excuses to get rid of them. Right, almost. That's a really great question because I think it depends on the customer. I've talked about this a, with, a lot with um, folks um, looking at different business models and circularity, and maybe I'm kind of talking to people who are. Uh, more invested in reducing textile waste, myself included, but actually a good portion of some of the things I have that I'd like to resell or extend their life are actually damaged to the point where I can't fix them. And yeah. um, I, either I'm too lazy or I haven't found the appropriate pa- place to fix them. And I've, I've talked to a number of people who actually feel the same way, especially high quality things. I think that people are more likely to donate things that don't have a lot of resale value, but those durable things that they want to keep on the market and maybe get some value th- value back for, it might be like a purse that has yeah. um, a damaged buckle. Or, um, or a shoe with a strap or something. Exactly. Yeah. Just something yeah. stupid that they want fixed and mm-hmm. it doesn't damage the entire product but yeah but then in that case i feel like unless it's super high in luxury i feel like you're if it's super high in luxury you think about the brands about reaching out to those luxury brands and i think luxury brands have done a better job and and usual and kind of offering resources or ideas around repair to their customers but then right. if it's kind of in that mid-range I my instinct I agree with you Rachel I, I I am the same way where I think about how can I fix this if, especially if it's something that is higher quality or something I really yeah. want to keep I would go to my local tailor I wouldn't think about let me f- figure out does this particular brand offer repair services so maybe it's something that hopefully other brands follow suit and it becomes yeah. more of a trend 
I think I would if um, it were more uh, abundant. If it Absolutely. became, I, you know, I think there, I think there's you. a couple ways to look at this. Um, I think there's a market development side. I think this offers an incredible opportunity for um, green jobs. Coach has hired, has sort of upskilled and hired and trained about 400 people to work in its stores to do repairs. Uniqlo is actively training people to do re- do repairs. Um, I think then that then there's a consumer side where, you know, it's not only just the convenience and do you want to keep you know, sort of the virtuous keeping this out of the landfill, but also cost savings. Like if you buy something um, and and it has minor damage, you may, instead of wanting to buy something new, even if it's fast fashion, I mean, people, people, we're in a recession right now. And I think if, if it were abundant um, and, and we knew that every place that we bought something from, we could take it back and have it repaired. I think people would, even for the cost saving, cost savings measure. And I also think it's making sense that brands do own this piece. I mean, repairs are very tough. And it, one of the reasons that it is hard to scale repairs, um, especially outside of a brand, is, you know, you need that brand-specific trim sometimes. You need the yeah. that brand-specific um, materials. And, or the, um, their zipper, their buckle, whatever the mm-hmm. whatever the item is. Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, I do I do think that this is a good sign. I do, you know, when you're looking at fast fashion and, and repairs, obviously there's sort of a tension there. But I think that, uh, like... Offering repairs is the way forward. I don't think it's a trend. I think it's just part of um, Mm. us becoming sort of a more sustainable society and consumers wanting um, brands to sort of fulfill their commitment. Um, I don't think it's going to be perfect, the fact that Uniqlo is (laughs) offering repairs for $5. I'm cynical about that. That is a a way, that's a feint to get people to come back into the store and buy some more stuff, right, clearly. Whereas... You know, Arcteryx, they have very specific materials and devices in their clothes. You want... You it's know, more you technical have, If you clothes. need to have something patched, right. you want it with the Arcteryx fabric, right? right. Not, not somebody else's cotton or something. Do you know what? I feel like... I was thinking about this the other day that... Um, it, I mean, I don't repair things really, but my mom did and sometimes still does. And she talks about her mother repairing even underwear... Um, you know, that she would sew up or she would, like, replace the elastic in underwear. Can you imagine? (laughs) You know, this was probably in the 40s. I can't even imagine how to begin to do that. (laughs) Do you know what? Do you know? Gosh, it was probably, it was a few years before he died. I met Hubert de Givenchy. Oh, my gosh. He was, you know, it was in Paris. And... I met him, we, you know, we chatted for maybe 20 minutes. It wasn't like, it wasn't an interview. It was um, just sort of meeting and saying hello. And he's, he was very tall and thin and very gentlemanly and kind of perfect. Mm. Except I couldn't stop staring. He, had, he was wearing a collared shirt and the edge of the collar around his neck was really frayed. Hmm. Um, and the cuffs were frayed. And I guess maybe he noticed me looking at it because yeah. I was sort of started. I was like thinking, is he <laughs> yeah. poor? And like, yeah. oh my God, he lives in that mansion. Like, what is going on? And he just sort of gracefully said, yes, I need to have my collars turned. I had to go back. I forget. I asked him, I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> but a, people used to take off the collar and cuffs of their shirts. Mm. Men did. Like, I mean, their wives or seamstresses did it, I guess. And turn them the other way so you would get double the use. Oh. Afraid. That's amazing. It's like rotating your tires. 
That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I exactly. mean, we forgot about like, all these sort of tricks of the trade about extending the life of things. And, you know, in preparation for this episode, I remembered a really great conversation I had with somebody. Um, he was a president of a brand called Allen Edmonds, um, Malcolm Robinson. Allen Edmonds is a, is a men's leather um, shoe brand. and um, Really good shoes. 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 those soles over and over and over. Well, that's what they do. Yeah. And so we had this, I looked at my notes and I had taken copious notes from this conversation with Malcolm. It, it was 20 in 2020 we spoke. And he said, he said, look, we sell a half million pairs of shoes a year. And um, we get back 60,000 pairs a year for repair. And we own that repair process in our warehouses. Yeah. It's, it's a really serious part of our business. And it's a part of our business. We would not do it if we did not make money from it. Mm. And I think that's sort of the tension when we think about how will this play out in fast fashion. But I do think there's an opportunity here as we're talking about potential policy and regulation. The data of fast fashion could possibly be required to get back around the, you know, how long is it before people are bringing things back for repair? Um, what what are the damages? Are the seams ripping? You mm. know, so the data around this can inform policy. Yeah, it could inform policy. It could inform the and actual durability. Strategy. The actual yeah. durability that they're claiming. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, while it's not most brands yet, even some brands now embracing repair, you know, there's that idea of um, the Overton window in politics, where there's a range of publicly um, acceptable talking points around a topic, mm. and successful political stra- strategies will often m- try to widen that window to start to make radical ideas more mainstream. And I feel like fashion companies starting to incorporate things that they probably never would have talked about in the past, including repair, helps widen that Overton window, make that concept more mainstream, helps clear pathway towards policy, and even helps kind of enforce in in consumers' minds that repair, thinking about repair and eventually, hopefully DIY even, um, and starting to relearn some of those things that we lost. But um, even from that point of view, if brands really embrace repair as a central tenet of their marketing message. Because so often I feel like we've seen brands come out with an announcement like this, it gets buried, it's a link on the bottom of their site, um, and it's something that's really talked about mostly in press and not really, you know, um, a message that's front and center for their consumers. But if they if they continue to do that, I think, I, I am hopeful. I think it's super cool that there's so much going on on YouTube and TikTok about just how to repair your clothes. Because mm. it tells us that people are interested in doing it. Yeah. And actually, I mean, some clothes, like jeans look really cool when they're repaired. So cool. You nudie know? is Patched great at that. And, yeah. Nudie jeans. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, nudie. Go to, if you can go, if you're in a city where you can go to a nudie store, I spoke at an event there a couple of years ago. And they, after the event, um, one of the managers of the store laid out all these jeans that they had repaired. And uh, talk about beautiful, visible mending. I mean, these really old worn jeans that they had that they had repaired in the most beautiful ways. And he showed us the new version of each pair and said, which one is more beautiful to you? Hmm. And the worn ones and certainly the, were. And the worn ones were, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I was going to define visible mending because... Um, oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because, you know, I think it comes actually from the centuries-old Japanese tradition. But basically, it's it's rather than trying to hide the fact that a garment was repaired and altered, it's actually kind of celebrating and embracing mm-hmm. it. The stitching is really obvious. Some, you'll mix and match materials or prints yeah. even. And then, it, ultimately, you get a garment that is actually, you know, taken on a new life, but is also in some ways more beautiful than, than before. Yeah, I just love that. I love that. 
There was a pamphlet issued by the British Ministry of Information um, during World War II, and it was Mm -hmm. to provide housewives with useful tips on how to be both frugal and stylish in times of rationing. But one of the things they did sort of, the pamphlet sort of uh, encouraged was visible mending Mm -hmm. to make things more interesting and more beautiful. And um, Wow. It's a long history of that. See, for me, I have the opposite reaction of Christina. I'm I, I'm not thinking, oh, let me go figure out how to no. do it myself. I'm like— You also have two young children. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I'm like, let me go find somebody who can do it. How, how can I find the right person who knows how to do it? <laughs> the guy at your dry cleaner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, dry cleaners, yeah. You know, every time I've had a piece, um, you know, shoes cobbled or gotten something altered at a dry cleaner, there's such an intense human experience, and you're reminded of sort of the craftsmanship yeah. of of, mm-hmm. the, of of that process. And I do think it's interesting if H and M and Uniqlo are inviting people who are craftsmen to come in and repair clothes in their shop. That does give a more intense connection between the people that make our clothes and the selling of an item. And it Mm. is kind of profound in the way it could possibly change the way we shop. If, you know, whether they intended or not, placing someone who repairs the items on the floor of your shop is, I think, a good thing. Okay. This is a good moment to move on to another interesting tech story that got us talking this week. It comes from a Swedish company called Renew Cell. C-E-L-L, not like S-E-L-L. The technology is called Circulose. It's fascinating. It's another glimmer of hope in the world of textile recycling. H&M has used circulose-based rayons in some of its clothing, and now Zara just announced a new line based on textiles made from it. And I guess... You know, I guess we're excited about this because it has it promises a better way to recycle cotton, for example. I think one of the first ones they did was re- with recycled denim. Apparently, it's better than mechanical recycling, which results in lower quality products because the fibers get um, much smaller as each time cloth is recycled. Um, there's a kind of chemical recycling that creates the basis for creating rayons like viscose that are high in quality and biodegradable. I know we're going to hear from Rachel here because I've heard about the sort of chemical sloop that mm. creates mm-hmm. rayon and viscose. Mm-hmm. So I bet there's something that's not great in there. But it's cool to see H&M become an investor in Renewcell, um, and it has the right to take a certain amount of the production. These massive fast fashion brands, we've talked a lot about how fast fashion is really bad for the planet. So I find this partnership really interesting. It's the same as all recycling. It's complicated, right? So the fundamental question overall about recycling is, um, is it an escape hatch for overproduction or producing things we should never have produced in the first place? Um, Mm. And that leaves us in a state of blaming customers potentially for not, you know, putting their products in the right recycling bin, um, blaming customers, consumers for our waste problems, for not recycling enough. Um, but then, like, ultimately, I mean, that leaves that leaves the question, well, what do we do with our waste, mm-hmm. you know? Um, right. So everything has an end of life. And, you know, recycling textiles is absolutely preferential to landfill or incineration. Um, right. This this particular process, this renew cell process, is said to be lar- less carbon intensive than um, wood pulp-based rayon production and puts endangered and ancient forests at less risk. Um, that, that production process you talked about for rayon... Um, I, I don't really know the chemistry of it. I do know some some 
some processes are much more environmentally damaging than others. It all depends on how it's done. Um, so that what, is there good rayon and bad rayon? Yes. The brand Lensing's Tencel is known for having sort of a closed loop, very environmentally friendly rayon production oh. process. Okay. So, so Tencel is good rayon. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good yeah. Um, yeah, so there's some, some are better than others. And, and like you said, it's better than mechanical recycling in that it can potentially be recycled over and over without degradation. But I think something to keep in mind is um, this isn't cotton. It's rayon. How much rayon do you own? I don't think that um, it's going to necessarily replace cotton. We have to see how yeah. the market takes this. Oh, you're, that's interesting. You know what point. I mean? You don't think that consumers will necessarily like it. I, I don't love rayon. I, I don't and No, I don't either. <laughs> A lot of people don't realize that it is like made out of cellulose. They think it's polyester, or cheaper. Right, right. You know, yeah. I can't believe um, that it's made out of wood. That was shocking to me. Yeah, we haven't seen Renucel, right? I haven't felt it. I'd be interested to see how comparable the the genes are to to denim. I know this is late in the conversation to do this, but I, I have to admit, I when I read the articles about it. Um, I just, it took me a lot of t- attempts to read through the language to understand yeah. what they were talking yeah. about. <laughs> and I think it would be just be helpful yeah. just, just to take a step yeah, back and, walk, and walk go for it. Um, yeah. So this is how they describe it. And I thought it was it, it, it was a lot clearer. Um, so they basically take discarded, any kind of discarded clothes. They, they, they seem to imply that it can, they can take anything, um, jeans, whatever. They prefer cotton clothes because they contain a lot of cellulose. Then they shred, debutton, dezip, decolor, and turn it into a slurry. Contaminants like plastic and polyester are taken out. So I think that's implying they can take mixed fabrics. And what remains is cellulose, a biodegradable organic polymer. Um, and then that's dried to produce sheets of pure circulose, which is their branded product. They ship mm. it in bales um, off to brands who can then make it into garments. Um, and then they say their last step is step five, loop closed, period. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Done. Yeah, yeah. Don't ask any other follow-up questions. Don't ask anymore. <laughs> Done. No, but they must Recycling. have a stream. Did they address the waste stream? What happens to that? Well, that was my that, that was going to be my question too, which is the loop is only closed if after I buy an item that's made out of circulose, I then right. bring it back somewhere so that they can endlessly make it into new garments. Well, that's the ultimate. Like they're setting us up for the future. So I mean, that would be uh, that would be. That's the problem with recycling, though. Does it get back? Mm-hmm. You know, does it get back into the recycling stream? So, I mean, best intentions, but will it get back? And I think that, you know, if, if we ask the next sort of obvious question, is this scalable? It, that's what it's going to depend on. They're going to need access to our actually actual clothing waste. And mm. I mean, we're only recycling like less than 1% of, of, t- of fibers. And most of what we have in terms of recycled fibers, if it's not made out of plastic bottles, it's made out of really high quality cotton uh, fabric uh, factory offcuts, like directly from the factory, because it's just great fiber and it hasn't been. It's there all in one place, and um, it's easy easy to 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 gather and recycle. And um, so, for these technologies to scale, they're going to need access to like millions of pounds per month of our clothes from our closets. We're going to have to scale mm. collection. And if oh we scale, God. we yeah. need goodwill to do that for us. Right. Yeah, but if they, I mean, where do we but, take? We need some place. But goodwill sells that. That's their 
their business model. So there's a tension. Like all the clothing collectors sell their product in bulk and export it, and they get they money for that circulars. commodity. Yeah, but for how much? Mm-hmm. How much are they going to pay for it? If it's mm-hmm. less well, than what the export markets command, mm. there's a problem. And there's also a chicken or egg thing too. Like if we start collecting everything and there's no technology yet to to recycle it, um, then we just have waste. There's a whole sort of unit economics like market thing that needs to be figured out between every all these players. I want to step back here for a second because there's also a question of I mean, Zara and H and M are huge, right? And uh, is this just a marketing ploy? I mean, is this going to make a significant dent in the production that they do? Or is, what I mean, do you think? only if they can figure out what I just talked about. Yeah. Okay. And that, that in- requires cross-industry collaboration. Everyone from haulers to collectors. We need infrastructure for sorting and detrimming. We need policy and regulation that incentivizes. And okay. we need to collect more than to we can export. It. We need subsidies yeah. for um, collecting, sorting, detrimming. Um, and recycling, because even if we stood up all these recycling facilities here in the United States, we don't have spinning and weaving here yet. What are we going to do? Export that raw material overseas and spin and weave it there? Maybe. I don't know. But all this is yet to be figured out. I have a question. What do you guys think? Because they use the word biodegradable in relation to this product. What, what do you think? Where would that apply in this process? Like, at what point are they assuming that this product will need to biodegrade? I, the landfill, right? So there are it so ends up in the landfill. That's what I'm wondering. So are they assu- yeah. are they saying? That's like the big shrug. We know it can't actually become circular. It's going to end up. Well, right. it also depends on what they dye it with. Hmm. Question. You know yeah. what I mean. These are the questions. These are the hard-hitting <laughs> questions. Yeah, and that Renewcell has no control over what happens to the fabric later. Let's get them on the pod. Anything or- yeah, we should get them yeah. on the pod. As you were talking about this, Rachel, and, and these streams, I flashed to um, Los Angeles County has passed um, a law that requires that um, compost waste no longer go into garbage in your, into into your trash. I mean, it's gonna. It's kind of a mess. But I love it that it's tackling this this yeah. this, this waste stream, and it yeah. tells us that we can tackle other waste streams. Oh, like, yeah. Couldn't we do that for clothing oh, too? Yeah. We could, right? We could. Right. It would just it would like compost need to be separate. That's the logistics challenge. To collect clothing for recycling, potentially like this, it might not have to be clean and dry. But to collect it for reuse, it definitely has to be clean and dry. So that's the challenge. You know, it's interesting how often these conversations that we have come back to. We need policy because mm-hmm. we're talking about changing the behavior of billions of people. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I'm we, working. We've got to have policies to. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> really, we should have you on our show, Rachel, to talk about. <laughs> I, some of I will, thank you so much for inviting <laughs> me on your show. I will. Okay, um, we have reached that favorite point in our podcast where we get to talk about what is pushing our buttons. Um, uh, I tell you what, I'm dying. This pushed my button so hard. I'm just gonna go first this week, if you don't mind. Go for it. I'm so excited. Me too. It's like, it has to do with labeling and and trust. So there's this company, Lions Not Sheep. My problem with them is not their politics. They are a pro-Trump, a 
apparel firm and they do all these t-shirts and different things like that. Okay, fine. Aside from (laughs) that, they were just apparel firm. Okay. Sponsored by happens. It it happens. They just they just agreed to pay two hundred and eleven thousand dollars fine because they were removing the made in China labels (laughs) from their clothing and replacing them (laughs) with Drum roll, made in America. It's so on brand. But I'm wow. so, oh my God. Wow. And it's just like you can go and get t-shirts made inexpensively in America. Right. Not <laughs> like, as inexpensively, though. That's the that's the reality. No, but they no, need but to have man, they need to so have gross. fraud Cheap. and lying as 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 part of their business model. And apparently, I don't know if oh, they got caught because the owner of the brand went and did a YouTube video and bragged about it. Oh. Seriously, that's how they found it. That's also on brand. There's, they, there's, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if this is true, but uh, I saw somebody on Twitter did a deep dive on Amazon, and um, apparently they're still selling Made in America apparel. So I don't know where that apparel actually was made, but we could all have our suspicions. Anyway, boo hiss to Lions Not Sheep apparel. Well, a, a more optimistic T-shirt story is the T-shirt I'm wearing right now. Yeah, I have to tell you, by the way, I've, this whole time we've been looking at Rachel, <laughs> and I can't see the bottom part of her T-shirt. All I can see is the part that says, F***. Yes. <laughs> Which <laughs> seems appropriate. That's on brand. Generally That's on brand appropriate. for me. Yes. Clothing waste. It says, Tell us why. Clothing waste. This is a T-shirt by um, my friend's company called Swerve Inc. It's at S-W-U-R-V-I-N-K dot com. Swerve Inc. Okay. And um, he is doing on-demand um, printing on used blank T-shirts. And I was a beta tester, and he sent me this T-shirt. I love it. Is that a custom Rachel Kibbe shirt? or No, but it felt like it was. I had three options, and of course, this is the one I picked. Of course. I, ha- I don't know if he has this online right now, but I hope he puts it back up. I don't know. I, th- I, I, think, we, I think we found our merch producer. Yeah. Yeah. There They'll you go. be so excited. I'll be so excited. You know how um, Colbert used to say uh, after somebody came on the show, you're getting the Colbert bump. They're getting the hot buttons bump. They're getting the hot yeah. buttons bump. Shilla, what's your hot button this week? So mine is um, different than usual only because it's, it's been such a momentous past couple of weeks. And, you know, voters in Kansas rejected a proposed state constitutional amendment that would have removed access to abortion. This is a very red state. Voted yeah. for Trump by a 14-point margin in 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Defeated this amendment by 18 points. Um, Amazing. And the moves the pro-choice movement made in Kansas were so savvy and skilled. It reminded me so much of Stacey Abrams' moves in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, that plus the IRA, which we talked about at the top of the podcast. And this is not political at all, but Alex Jones... Um, being ordered to pay $45 million. Honestly, all of these things that's, has, has <laughs> stirred in me this unusual feeling of, I don't know, is it hope? Optimism? Optimism? <laughs> what Wanting is to that? wear a rayon yeah. cat suit? <laughs> we might have to break it out in celebration, honestly. I agree with you, Shilla. <laughs> I, if you do, I will. That's all for the show. Please support us by following us on Twitter. We're at Hot Buttons Pod. Or send a link to friends or colleagues and go to Apple or Spotify and give us a rating. We really appreciate your support. If you want to email us with story ideas, send a note to hotbuttons at postscriptaudio.com. 
Hot Buttons is hosted by me, Christina Binkley, Sheila Kim Parker, and Rachel Kibbe. The show is produced by Postscript Media. Our senior editor is Anne Bailey. Our engineers are Greg Villefranc and Sean Marquand. Cecily Meza Martinez is our managing producer. Stephen Lacey, Scott Clavenna, and Rachel Kibbe are our executive producers. Postscript Media makes podcasts at the intersection of climate with culture, politics, business, and tech. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm focused on climate solutions across energy, food, agriculture, transportation, logistics, and advanced materials. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch up with you next week. Apparently in 2010, Jay-Z gave her $350,000 worth of Birkin bags. No, it's, it's always nothing. about Jay-Z. Jay-Z? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jay-Z, what did you do? Right, exactly. Exactly.